record even though I'm not ready. Ah, check. Uh, I think yeah, we, then we should just start recording. We used to do this more, didn't we? Just start yeah. recording much sooner and then yeah. give us a lot more to play with. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, expectations are higher. You mean of our, of ourselves? Our or own of expectations. The listeners? <laughs> the listeners have a higher expectation in the sense no, they know that there are listeners. There's a collective higher expectation just by virtue of the fact that there's marginally more listeners than there were 30 episodes. Exactly. Ago. Well, there's a there's a there's a higher expectation in that we are 40 episodes in and we still faff around with trying to get this set up every single time. We still don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. So you know, what are you yeah. gonna do? I think it shows. <laughs> what in that every time we start the podcast we're like ah does How this do we make start sense this? not only that but like our st- our intros to the episodes that become they've not become more consistent and honed over time i think they've become more chaotic and less honed i know, I and know. No- and normally it's just you exclaiming i'm ah. gonna start this thing yeah. or just yelling <laughs> It's a oh. sh- yeah, it's a shame that you usually say, oh, I'm just going to press record before you press record, because <laughs> otherwise everyone will be just be like, oh, I'm just oh, going yeah. for it. Just going to have to yeah. go for it. Usually, usually we're much more toned down, much more like, uh, here we uh, go. But as soon as I do that, it's like, ah, pain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, could, we could work out some like vocal exercises. Yeah. We could uh, work out how to get I a set height. Do vocal exercises we could just work out how we're going to answer the question, how are you? <laughs> or if we're going to choose to ask the question. You know what it is? Is in real life, whenever anybody asks, how are you? You give the same exact answer every yeah. single time. But you no can't fine. just say, yeah, good. I'm fine. The problem is, yeah, the problem is, if it's a question that you ask at the start of a podcast, it needs an answer that is elaborated upon. Or otherwise, different. what's the point? Yeah, but exactly. also, like... It's almost. Do you think it's? It's probably more of a faux pas than to actually give an honest answer when someone asks you. Oh, nobody wants an honest answer. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants an honest answer. So whenever we're bamboozled, when we whenever we ask ourselves the question on air and are bamboozled by it, we're just doing that kind of like. Well, I have nothing to say other than yeah. the truth, but <laughs> I usually just nobody wants to hear the truth. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel know. like it's supposed to lead into something. Yeah. Well, I'm pissed off, Dan. You want to know why I'm pissed I'm off? Let, I told please, you this. Please tell me why you're pissed off. <laughs> I told you this the other day. I'm going to sit my Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not pissed off because of the outcome. I'm pissed off because I feel like I was lied to. Only just found out perpetual spinach is just charred. I'm uh-huh. a little angry about that. I, I was didn't like, know that either. I know, because I was like, all right, this spinach seems to be enormous and like a little tough. What I mean, is it makes sense. It looks like charred. It does look. In yeah. hindsight, it is just charred. Mm. Tastes like spinach, though. And I don't know, because I feel like I always put on a show of not liking charred. Maybe it's just because of how it's always prepared and given to me is just like in a raw and just like, oh, I don't really want this. But hey, treat it like spinach. Like it's yeah, good. I've it's never fine. grown charred and I don't know yeah. why one, what, one, one, <laughs> one would. One would. One would. I don't yeah. know why one would. Yeah. Just, I don't know, grow beetroot and eat the leaves from the beetroot. Instead. You're just trying to get me to grow beetroot. <laughs> I, it sounds like I am. Yeah. And I don't even really like beetroot. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with beetroot. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. It just seems like filler. Maybe that's what I need because I need crops to grow right now. So I don't know beetroot, but again, what are you gonna do with it? Yeah, I, I pickled know. the vast quantity of beetroot, and now I'm <laughs> learning to like pickled beetroot. So there you <laughs> yeah, go. are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> I mean, I eat it now, and I didn't used to eat it. Oh well, there you so. go. Yeah, I like to try pickle things, pickled eggs, pickled. Uh... It's a good first step into preserving things, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I'm chalking it up as, as a victory. <laughs> victory in preserves. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think I've successfully dried out the potatoes. I think they're successfully in sacks and hopefully successfully not going to rot anytime soon. So I'm taking that as a little bit of a victory. I have way too many potatoes still, but 
you know what? I'm feeling good about it. I'm nice. feeling all right. Nice. I feel like that's a bit of a success. So mm. 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 there you go. Mm. When are you going to dig up yours? Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> They're looking very healthy. They don't mm. seem to have any blight. Well, that's good. Um they don't seem to be... I think they're flowering, but they don't seem to be any signs of... Um, Death. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> someone said, yeah. Somebody, a tidbit of information I got from someone else was of digging them up when their leaves start to fade and they yeah. seem to be dying back a bit. Yeah, but yeah. They're not doing that. Mm, they're going nuts. Yeah. Mm. It's a small sample of potatoes, and um, I think of them as not being mined, so <laughs> they belong to someone else. They belong to the world. Yeah. To the world's potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, all right, that's nice. Yeah, so if anybody wants to come and no, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dig up Dan's potatoes, please, by all means. <laughs> um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, there you go. The world spins on. Potatoes mm. are still being grown. Um, here we are, Dan. Yeah, I was going to comment on your t-shirt. It's my t-shirt. You're, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> comment Chuck's, away. Chuck's wearing a very fine, very nice uh, Bernie Sanders t-shirt. Vintage. Is it? Yeah, is it 2016? Is it? No. <laughs> I mean, in the, it's all vintage, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. I like it. Yeah. It's um, it's It's got a picture of a crowd on it, and it's mm. got Bernie, the great dictator, in the middle. <laughs> um, if we're going to need to have a dictator of our working class republic, I'm quite happy to have him be the one. I kind like Bernie Sanders. He's man. He's all right. He's all right. And it says solidarity forever on it. Yeah. Which is nice. The only gripe that I had Uh-oh. was the, uh, the, the, every, well, a certain number of the members of the crowd are holding placards and the placards mm. have demands on them. And yes. what was frustrating me was that several of the demands are the same. There are six oh, placards I know. and I two know. of them that are like, me too. yeah, it's two, like, of them, two of them are, I think the same one is unions for all. It says it twice. Yeah. And I was just like, can you not come up with six different things? Yeah, it's five things. That is frustrating. That yeah. is really frustrating. I mean, the other shirts that I had a choice from were all like Californians for Bernie or like, you know, Bernie, but in like a crazy font. And I was like, yeah, this one seems good. He did well. He yeah, did well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's all right. I mean, I don't know whether whether Bernie you are enabling the Bernie Sanders campaign to steal a radical slogan <laughs> with history sure. and sort of like 100% uh, and uh, softening it and normalizing it. I'll I'll give it to the uh, uh, to some caucus at a, a DSA caucus. They can have it after this. Honestly, all right. I think yeah. I felt a little weird wearing it today. This is the first time I've worn it in a while because it was kind of hidden away. And I put it on and I was like, how do I feel about wearing this? Hmm. And then I was like, I don't care. I need it's a clean shirt. <laughs> so you know what are you gonna do? Hmm. I'm like, gonna get hassled for wearing it out here. So yeah, no, mm. yeah. Well, you, I suppose, yeah, you might get hassled by come. Yeah, no one's going to come with like a Bernie bro out here. Like, hey, governor, you got to do a Bernie bro. Yeah. Your grandma rings you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Goddamn socialism. I. It's funny. I feel I, I'm having a hard time relating to the Sanders campaign because there was a while where I was very disappointed, obviously, and then I was very angry, and then I forgot about it for a very long time. Now it's like, uh, I've been thinking about the Sanders campaign again. It's like, how do I relate to that? How do I relate to everything that happened? Um just driven me even more away from the Democratic Party, I guess. I guess yeah. that's like the one takeaway that I have from it is just like, wow, these people are all fucks. I think like everything pre-COVID, it's just become ancient history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Maybe he'll come on the podcast. <laughs> what are you doing these yeah, days, I can't Bernie? imagine he's doing, <laughs> doing very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel very similarly about like uh, the Corbyn project and the mm. 2019 election and... I seem to. I feel so far removed from it now. Yeah, and 
Yeah, I don't know. Just like the news cycle, isn't it, too? It's just like, it's come and gone. And nobody talks about it. And it's like, that was a thing, and they failed, and that's that. Um, yeah. I wonder yeah. whether it's also a reaction to having invested, maybe now I won't say too much, but some aspect of myself. Sure, 100%. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 When we started this show, was Bernie still running? No. No, yeah, couldn't have been. How long ago did we start the show? God, <laughs> it's been too long. We, we started history. in October and he dropped out oh, yeah. on like Super Tuesday, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, or a, little, right, a few yeah, weeks yeah. after Super Tuesday or something. Yeah. Shame. So it's actually quite a long time ago. It is, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's a very early 2020. I mean, I was following the Bernie campaign very, very closely in the mm. early stages of 2020. I think it was in the aftermath of the 2019 elections here, and I was just like, I don't really want to pay attention to British yeah. politics. Yeah. It's just still fucking Brexit, so yeah. I'll, um, I'll follow American politics instead. Yeah. Um, How'd that go? <laughs> yeah. It was sufficient distraction. Yeah. That's all. The, that's the only reason why I was doing it, really. Yeah, before I came out here, I used British politics as a bit of a distraction, too, because I, I remember, like, staying up and, like, waiting for the Brexit vote to come in and then being like, ha-ha, the fools, look at them, ha-ha-ha. <laughs> and then Trump got elected, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. That seems like uh, the, the world of, like, Oh my god, 2016 and all mm. these things, mm. all these shock votes keep happening, kind of thing. Like, I feel it's like a long time ago. I mean, I suppose yeah. we're so far. I mean, we're post the Trump yeah. campaign now, and I yeah. suppose ostensibly Brexit is over, although it sounds like yeah. it's probably not. Mm. Um, but that narrative, I don't know what what that narrative turned into or how it played out. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I suppose like populist reaction is still a thing in the world for yeah, sure, sure so yeah 100 percent um, yeah it's certainly not over but when was the Brexit vote was that 2016, 2016 well? yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't feel like that was the same time as trump mm. i know there, there was like you know slight time difference but like it feels like different eras almost i don't know why my, i think i think just the way the news cycle operates just solely operates to just screw up your conception of time and it's worked because i like at, when things are like oh yeah you know when we started you know, uh, the Iraq war under W that was in, you know, like 2000, the early 2000s. I'm just like, that was when, like, mm. what the fuck? I, my time frame is just so screwed up for everything. I don't know. Even like Biden getting elected. I'm like, God, I feel like that was so long ago. You know what I mean? I don't know. I have no frame of reference for anything anymore. <laughs> Shame. Shame. You know what I marked the time by Dan? Go on, tell me. <laughs> Is it this podcast? Jeff? This goddamn podcast. <laughs> Although I say that, and I look at this piece of paper in front of me, and it says episode 40, and that just seems also insane. Yeah. Um, but here we are. Another 10 have gone by, Dan. Um, uh, and look at that. Wow. Arbitrary uh, passing of time. We mm -hmm. have done 10. The last 10, I would say, quite good, Dan. I think we've done a very good job. Yeah. Um, if I do, do uh, toot my own horn. Um, but longtime listeners will know, or I suppose... 10 listeners from the last 10 episodes will know. We have a bit of a tradition of every 10 going back and looking at the last few episodes that we did. Going back and looking at the last 10, seeing what we read, seeing what trains of thought there were, having a bit of a chat, um, seeing if we've learned anything, <laughs> perhaps, hmm. and seeing how our, I think... <laughs> stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Um, and I think now... Uh, maybe comparing kind of where we were at different points on the show as well. So we're having, we're having a bit of a talk about that um, and how our kind of frame of mind has shifted a bit, um, the collective consciousness of the podcast. So you're in for a real treat today, listener, because that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, real quick, I just, I just want to rattle off which ones we've done 
because I kind of need to remember as well. So we started as we ended, Dan. Look at that. We mirrored with the Hal Draper. So we started Two Souls Socialism. Then we interviewed Thelma Walker, an ex-Labor MP, moving up in the world. Well done, us. Um, started and finished the Fundamental Principles of Communist Production and Distribution. We managed to read a little bit of Marx, actually. Look at that. Imagine that. Critique of the Gotha Program. We killed Donald Rumsfeld in episode 36. We <laughs> did part two of the CIA book. Um, and then we finished, as I said, with some more Hal Draper talking about the dictatorship of the proletariat. A good collection of episodes. Some different stuff, but you can see some clear kind of trains of thought. Um, yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested to see kind of where we've wound up here. And um, obviously a big chunk of that was taken up with fundamental principles. And so our thought kind of revolved around that once we started it. But um, yeah, I'm interested to kind of break that down. Yeah, it's nice to have a set of episodes that are to some extent thematically connected and united. I mean, we've done some of that mm. before. If you look back over any of our back catalogue, it's kind of like um, one thing inspires the next. Sometimes mm. there are a few big breaks where we have a bit of an about face or we try to tackle something else mm. to varying degrees of success, I suppose. <laughs> um, but it is nice to have, yeah, yeah, I feel like to some degree they're connected together because one, it makes me feel like we're mm. building an edifice of our own knowledge rather than, I mean, it's a, it's a small pile of stones at the moment, but like, <laughs> one day, one day. One day. I um, love the sum total of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also it gives us something to reflect on in terms of, like, where are we at now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, how have things evolved since we started Mm-mm. way back when, reading about uh, Class Struggle from Ralph Miliband? Yeah. Yeah. We had a very brave and kind listener message us and say that they were going to attempt, <laughs> attempt is the key word here, to go back and listen to um, all of our episodes from the first one. And I was like, eh, maybe caution you against doing that because I don't know if I would want to listen to the early episodes. <laughs> like, I don't know how those sound. Um, but I my, I don't know about you. My, my, I, my thinking has definitely changed a lot, I think, since we started. Um, and I think, like, I think, I think maybe just to open it up, I feel like I'm in danger. I was saying this to you yesterday. I feel like I'm in danger now that we've read the fund- Fundamental Principles book of being like, this is it. This is the socialism, this plan. Um, this is how it has to work. This is what communism is. Um, and part of me is like, you know, I think that for a reason because I was like, my mind was blown by that book. It was fantastic. It was awesome. It was really, really cool. Great points were all bought up. But obviously there, there are parts, um, that I'm still a little bit like eh, on from that book. And also there are huge parts of, uh, our current scenario and stuff that are just not answered at all or huge questions that we have that aren't answered or anything in that book. Um, so I kind of want to take a step back, um, and just kind of, just kind of relook at that book a bit, maybe in combination with like the Hal Draper and stuff, because I think that like a huge chunk of, of my thinking is taken up with like, obviously there's where we are now, and then there's a transition phase into, uh, socialism and then there's socialism itself. And then, you know, way down the line, there's like high communism or whatever. Um, and I think, I think with that book, with Fundamental Principles, what we got was, like, a chunk of that answered for me. And I have to realize that, like, it wasn't the chunk from, like, where we are now to communism. It was very much like, um, here's how you get to communism, but, like, not how you're able to begin to implement these ideas. Like, there's a whole bit from, like, now until where you're able to get to the point where you're able to, like, implement the uh, labor time calculation and all of that stuff. 
and like as communism that is like has not been answered. So I think that's something I'd like to get to in some future episodes. But at the same time, like I said, I do feel a little bit like this is the communism. And I feel like I'm a little wary of that. I don't know if you feel the same, but I'm a little bit like, yeah, maybe I need to take a step back and just like relook at everything because I'm finding it very easy to be critical of everything now. So I don't know. Critical, critical of everything because it's not labor time planning. Yeah, exactly. Because it's yeah, not yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe the way I'm, I'm beginning to think about going forward with it is to say the the core of that book is um, exciting and thrilling and mm. a good basis for deciding how to define, if not communism, then a transition to what, what a transition to to, the, to another state, another mode of production in a mm. way which is feels at least viable and somewhat worked out. Um, and also, I'm very much reassured, I suppose. I mean, one oughtn't um, give something credence because it has a very firm foundation in Marx. Like, yeah. obviously, Marx is capable of being wrong, just like anybody else. <laughs> um, but it's also nice to see both in, in my limited familiarity with capital and also from the fact that we... Um, had a go at reading the critique of the Gotha program, or mm. at least we read it and had a go at interpreting it for the podcast and interpreting it for ourselves. <laughs> um, it's reassuring to see on what foundations the group of international communists are building when they write that book. Mm. Um, we talked about this quite a lot when we did various readings of that book or when we did our various episodes on that book, the degree to which... Um, it's quite a simple economic sketch and a lot of the politics is either left to one side entirely or just hinted at or suggested at kind of thing. Mm. Um, so there is certainly a, a whole series of questions around, um, I suppose, transitioning us to that model, but that's a very overtly political question. It's very much dependent on what kind of political circumstance that is one is operating in, what kind of revolution or... Uh, transformation is taking place and what mm. the political possibilities are um and i suppose also there is the question of how that model would operate how it would develop how 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 to characterize its dynamism i suppose yeah. um we know that obviously capitalism has built into it an incentive to uh develop the mode of production to uh develop new technologies um we can they we could content ourselves with saying well those incentive structures would still exist and here's the mm. facility by which they would happen and that kind of thing but um it's also always worth querying i suppose certain sure. aspects of the concreteness of that proposal mm. um but i think i think um i agree with you that um for the foreseeable future, I imagine sort of making it the basis of my understanding of What's of socialism, socialism and yeah. a transition to socialism. Yeah. Um, I could say more if you have any thoughts. Well, I was just thinking like part, part of me was really wrestling and maybe this was because we were re reading a lot of like ultra lefty kind of stuff. And they're, you know, like you said, very allergic to the idea of a party and stuff. And I was kind of like, okay, the group of international communists answer the question of like what to do with socialism and what it is. But like to get to that point from where we are now is like a whole other question. And I was kind of coming at it from the point of like, kind of having a bit of that residue of like, 
uh, oh, it's a, it's a, the party is the socialism from above thing. You know what I mean? Um, and I was thinking that there's there's nothing really that is like uh, uh, that would be even if with that model of the group of international communists that would be counterintuitive to just having a party to get this set up. It's like if the party's goal was to abolish wage labor and introduce you know labor time calculation and all of that. Um, and I don't I don't see that as being uh, what's the word like uh, oh god what's the word like they're at odds oh, right. at odds with each other like they have a party and and what they were putting forward and even like. You know, they talk about as the state kind of abolishes itself and the withering away if you implement all of this stuff, like, it seems, it seems, it seems like you could very much have both of those things. Um, so I think that's something I'd like to do a bit of reading on is like the idea of a workers' party. And as long as its central goal was, you know, like I said, the abolishing of wage labor and stuff like that, um, those two things aren't contradictory at all. And I think that's something that I've changed my mind on quite a bit in these last 10 episodes is I think I had originally thought that they were and they're not. You know, not at all, I don't think. Hopefully. Mm. I mean, you could very easily see, like, a way in which uh, the party does become dictatorial, et cetera, et cetera. But as long as its central aim is that, then the model that's described in the book will make all that stuff wither away, I suppose. You know, in an ideal world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this. We talked about this last week when we were talking about the dictatorship of the proletariat to some extent, like... um, And also, like... I don't know, like revolutions in general. <laughs> I don't know whether we've mentioned this on there or not. I've been thinking about it quite a lot. Like, I don't have a very good schema for what politics is, I suppose. But politics is a messy process. Revolutions are a messy process. Mm. Like, um, one can get bogged down in uh, theoretical purity. Mm. Um, oh, 100%. But, but everything's contingent on the circumstances on the ground, I suppose, for yeah. want of a better phrase. Yeah, yeah, um, And, yeah, I don't know. A, a, a... Yeah, I suppose something that I'll keep wrestling with in regards to the dictatorship of the proletariat or the idea of um, somebody being in position to take charge of a revolutionary process, you know? Mm. Somebody, somebody, I mean, I say somebody, like, could be a great mass of people, yeah. I mean, I mean, ideally, you have an organization that I suppose would be quite easily described as a party mm. um, that was um, democratic in its makeup and its constitution and had a mass base um, who could legitimately claim to represent the interests or the impulses or the demands of a radical political process mm. whether it be a revolution or otherwise who could then take tenants from that book and or uh, yeah tenants from that book and implement them as policy i mean they could be they could be you could see them being put into a, a political manifesto mm. i've been thinking about this a little bit like could you write a manifesto that had as a, a the core theme like um uh, labor time accounting abolishing wage labor abolishing kind of thing, wage yeah. labor kind of thing mm. because the great virtue of that model is that it is um a la marx's description of it very explicitly one which is designed to resemble uh elements or tenets of the capitalist mode of production but with their sort of fundamental features changed mm. um and what's quite what's most advantageous about that is it makes pitching that idea uh, potentially um, 
popularizable, I suppose. Sure. Like it makes, it, I mean, I've not tried to do it very often, but like <laughs> the, the idea of pitching that as a possibility, given that it's sort of readily understandable, mm. um, almost makes it perfectly adapted to propagation by a political organization. Mm. Um, not that the group of international communists or um, other council communists would like to see it that way. I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also, was it the Draper where we were reading where they, he kept using the phrase about, you know, socialism needs to be something positive? I think it was, right? Or was that he was like maybe referencing... Luxembourg or somebody. I feel like something, something, something that we read recently talked about that. And, you know, I think that's been the fundamental flaw of like a lot of recent socialist um, organizations is that it's, they've either simply just been like, okay, we'll just reform the things. Socialism is giving you, you know, welfare or something like that. And, or in just not having a fundamental vision for the future. And that's something that, that's something that the working class needs. That's what something that like, don't even bother, honestly, if you're just complaining about capitalism. Yeah. I think that's something that I've really gotten frustrated with is yeah. just like the amount of just like, damn, this sucks. Let's do away with this. It's like, no one should listen to you if that's all you're saying. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you yeah. do need to have a fundamental like plan that is, you know, as the book is really easily understandable and really speaks to the issues that the working class has. So that's it's great virtue, and yeah, you're right about needing to put it into a manifesto or something. I think it's true of all politics, right? Mm. You have to be able to say something about <laughs> yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. Um, whether that demand is like logical or not, I don't know. But just like going around saying that we have to leave the European Union because it's the cause of all of these ills, kind of thing. <laughs> like it's something that gets into people's heads, right? At least you know yeah. what these people are for. Mm. Like, yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, it, it, that's, that's been a thing that I've been very excited about is answering the question. Cause you, you can get pretty much any chud to the point of like, okay, I get it. Capitalism sucks, you know, <laughs> but what else are you going to do? And that is the great virtue of this book, I think, is being able to point to here's the things. And, you know, if we're just basing, if we're even interested in quote unquote, like what Marx thought based purely off the Critique of the Gotha program, obviously very uh, similar. And it, yeah, exciting, excitingly so. Because I feel like I've tried to poke around the Critique of the Gotha program before, and I've just kind of been like, huh? What? You know, huh? Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny that like a much longer book was needed to like, you know, elaborate on that to get me to kind of understand parts of it. But um, yeah, anyway, pro-child labor now is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, a theme that is all, has always um, stuck with me a sort of philosophical question i suppose mm. it's the idea of like continuity and change like when do you recognize a change to have happened do you experience things as continuity and then um a severe break is only recognized afterwards kind of thing mm. um it's what excites me or interests me or draws me to the mixed into a description of the origins of capitalism mm like something that happens internal to the system where you might not even recognize it initially and then it goes on to be one of the greatest schisms in the history of like yeah. even this planet, you know? Um, and the same is sort of true of what's being proposed by that book kind of thing. Like mm. you're the... If it's a conscious activity, then the fundamental change is disguised behind a sort of like facade of familiarity. Mm. Um and if it's not a conscious thing, it's um, it's equally uh, 
a big break that at the time might not be felt as such, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's to belittle it, right? The amount of political work that have, would have to be put in for it to be even a remotely viable project um, is massive. Yeah. But, I mean, at least you have a trajectory, have some kind of idea kind of thing. Like, I've definitely like wandered in the wilderness before being like, I kind of want to call myself a socialist or a communist, but I really don't know what that even means, <laughs> sure. you know? Like, yeah. just sort of like, okay, I, I feel some kind of effective attraction to this, but whatever, and I sort of feel myself dissatisfy the world such that it exists, mm. but, you know, I, you know, I see the crises around me, but what are you going to do? Like, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you, you talk about, like, talk about, like, the political process to bring this all about as being messy. Does everybody need to understand the, like, intricacies of labor time planning? No. Or, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's like, there is, oh, there is, you were talking about this the other day, there is quite a bit of just anti-capitalist resentment right now. Um, and a lot of it on the socialist kind of side is just like, damn, capitalism sucks. And that's where you leave it at that. And I don't want to be a like right wing guy. So I'll just call myself a socialist. And that's that. And that's, you can still use that, obviously, yeah. if you're, uh, that's like the beauty of like a political party. You just kind of have to hope that like the party knows what it's doing. You know what I mean? Um, but also to kind of, to kind of go back real quickly to what you were talking about, about like breaks in, um, continuity i guess i was also thinking about the idea of like false breaks right because it must have felt like a huge change um when like king louis got his head chopped off you know what i mean or like uh i guess it was when the, when the czar and his family were murdered or like you know there there are examples of this throughout history where it's like damn things have changed a lot and then you're like why am i still waiting in a bread line yeah. <laughs> what's going on you know what i mean um and so it, it's it, it's almost like, and this is a very half-assed reading of history, but like there are false breaks that feel huge, and there are breaks that don't feel like anything but that are huge. Because if this, if the labor time planning was to happen, um, you'd still go to the store, you'd still go to work. The biggest difference, I suppose, and it would just be what you're getting and how much you're able to get. Mm -hmm. um, but that might take, you know, the, for that to actually seep in, might take like a generation or two or a million. You know what I mean? Like I have no idea how long yeah, that yeah. would take. Yeah. I guess the question is how messy the transition would be. I mean, we yeah. talked about this in our third part of the Fundamental Principles book. Um, like how, how, yeah, how chaotic would it be? How much, how much, uh, the, I mean, it, 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 when it comes to a polit political question, when it comes to a revolution, the thing that's always um, the deciding factor is kind of like what kind of political fidelity is there from your base towards yeah. this activity kind of thing and this is this is this is i suppose coming back to the question of like does everybody have to believe in the system kind of thing well people have to believe in it enough or at least believe in the activity mm. of change and the necessity of change and the people trying to implement it to um forestall or fight off i suppose what i might as well call counter-revolution when it presents mm. itself mm. um so I, I think so. I guess there is a I guess there is a reading of that book which, um, if done, would be overlooking quite how fraught a process it would be. Sure, potentially. Yeah, you could dress it up as a kind of like, oh, it's this it, this this thing kind of looks the same as the other thing, so <laughs> people aren't really going to notice. We're just going to sort of like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's sneaky. It's like, yeah, it's like turning the lights on and off and having everything fundamentally changed. Or all the flags red. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose it's interesting. Like, like I guess, like 
it's an interesting it's interesting to talk about that in terms of when Marx is talking about it in the critique of the Gotha program it's in the context of a critique of a political program right mm. like um it's not a critique of high-minded theory. It's a critique of how are you propagating your ideas. Yeah, that's a good point. This process of propagating ideas is just going to f- sow falsehoods in the minds of the working class. And as mm. we know, like um, Marx was the ultimate advocate for the capacities of everyday people to take mm. charge of their lives collectively to like build the new society kind of thing, the new mm. world. If that isn't possible, then Marxism isn't possible, or at mm. least a Marxist political, um, a Marxist politics isn't possible. Kind of 100%. Thing. Yeah, I mean, we futzed around with the question, didn't we, of like, you know, this the critique of the Gothard program might seem like he's splitting hairs or whatever, or like we even talked about on a later episode about like Marx and his, just like the strategic uh, interest that he had in, being and like sticking to his guns and being like you know, guys we got to fundamentally change some of these things here i'm not just being funny like this isn't gonna work um yeah what you just said was kind of a new way of thinking about that for me it, it yeah there are there are obviously certain things that you do have to kind of like stick to your guns about yeah and i've been really thinking about recently like kind of what we were just saying like everybody who is kind of like against the capitalist system and likes to call themselves like a you know a lefty or something like that is potentially an ally but of course there are certain things that you can't you can't budge on you know i was a little bit freaked out the other day i just had a sudden realization of just how much everybody is against everybody realizes that there needs to be a change right and obviously that change can be as little as we did it we elected joe biden if only Brett Kavanaugh wasn't in the dang Supreme Court, everything would be fine. Or, you know, all the way to, like, far right, far left, whatever. Um, that gave me a bit of, like, oh, I was at the allotment and I thought about that. And I was like, that feels, that feels weird. I don't know if there are many times in history where that hasn't been the case. But, like, I don't know, it really got to me. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's something about that's unnerving, you know. Maybe it was just the whole COVID things were freaking me out. But, yeah. Um, quickly, too, you... The, the idea of, like, the chaos that would spring from trying to change to, like, this socialist mode, right, um, seems it seems like it, it for, to me, it would come from very clearly, like, two places, right? And you're, you're going to have to have pretty clear ways of dealing with both of them. One of them is obviously, like, the chaos that would potentially come from getting every firm, or at least a majority of firms, past a certain point to follow these new economic rules. And, I mean, that's what they call the dictatorship of the proletariat, right, is just getting these people to follow these rules. I can imagine how that would be a little tricky. And I guess that also ties into the second one, which is just reaction, right? I mean, obviously, there are going to be very powerful uh, groups that don't want this to happen, that can kind of see that this would be uh, bad for their interests. Um, uh and yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose I only bring that up just to say that there there would have to be two very different strategies for that. One, I think that you can see would be a bit more militant and one that wouldn't be, um, hopefully. I mean, I think it would be a very bad way of trying to get firms on board to just go in there and like, you know, kick some ass or whatever. Maybe that would need to be done in certain points, but... Um, well, yeah, in, that, in the fundamental principles of communist production and distribution, when they're talking about the dictatorship mm. of the proletariat, they do, do yeah. have this sort of twofold discussion, right? One of them is... You might actually need an application of force, yeah. Which, in, in the examples you've provided, are would be to combat uh, reaction or counter-revolution, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then you have the aspect which is the forces implied by the requirement to follow the system or be outside of it. Yeah. Um, 
But I suppose there, I suppose there is also a degree of like you've got to get a, as you say a certain amount of uptake to be even get to the point where um, you have systemic hegemony, which is then representative of a dictatorship in the sense mm. of the system is now hegemonic. Mm. You have to get a certain amount of uh, uptake, kind of thing, or like. Yeah, I wonder whether it's a. It's, I wonder whether it's a question of. Um, Gain individual buy-in from individual places, or whether it's a matter of um, whether, if it, unlike councillors say, you were willing to have a much more political strategy, which was focused on the state and contemporary um, power structures and what have you. Whether there's a way in which you could implement it in its entirety, I suppose. It's probably a bit of both, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just depending on where you're at in the time scale, where you're at in the time scale. I mean, I suppose it's worth mentioning that at the end of their book, when they're talking about the implementation process, they talk in very high-minded terms of like this is analogous to mm-hmm. um, uh, revaluing a currency, you know, or like creating a new currency kind of thing. Mm, it is yeah. a very kind of like it is something that's directed from the center. So even even they're proposing a degree of. Um, yeah, centralized authority, at least in the sense of an authority that has the ability to to act mm. in a in a in a over the entire system, I suppose. Yeah, I'd I'd like someone smarter than me to have an analysis of that last bit because that was very much the point of the book where I was like, I don't get this. I'm yeah, gonna, I understand what they're saying, but I don't understand these equations. I'd like someone to come along and tell me, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, does this equation make any sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I suppose we've been skirting around it a little bit, but I think my favourite episode and my favourite reading, at least, of the whole bunch was actually Hal Draper's The Two Souls of Socialism. Mm. 100%, yeah. Um, mm. It put Marxist politics in a very new context for me. I mean, it was also very illuminating in its historical scope and the number of reference points that it gave and... Um, yeah, how it gave a, it gave a, gave a very full perspective of that period of history, and also it's a perspective it's a it's a perspective on a period of history that overlooks what you normally get as the key actors, right? Kind of thing. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. It overlooks like <laughs> Lenin and the Russian Revolution, you know, kind mm. of thing, or, mm. uh, and focuses on in so many other different places. But I also have found it recently propagandistically very useful. Mm. Um, Maybe not propagandistically, but you know, like um, in in uh, quite often we're asked to answer the question, like where did the socialist movement go wrong? You know, sure. where was the error point, mm-hmm. or where was, uh, yeah, what what is your Kronstadt? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when was the betrayal? <laughs> yeah, and um, from the standpoint of that piece, uh, it's almost like there was always fidelity and betrayal Mm -hmm. laced into the entire movement from the very beginning you know um but particularly into the marxist movement there were always these tendencies to stick closer to marx and uh predicate socialism on a sort of like bubbling up from below of mass action and mass commitment to uh, a socialist politics or the the opposite of that imposing socialism from above kind of thing Mm. They're not particularly radical, but radical by, I suppose, British politics um, standpoint. Uh, 
the Labour MP Clive Lewis has this line that he likes to trot out, which I really quite like, which is the Labour Party at present has turned socialism into something that's done to you mm. rather than something that you're empowered to do for yourself. Um, which I feel like is quite a good way of expressing what the, the sentiment that's been p- portrayed in that Hal Draper piece. Mm. Um, and so I guess in the context of my slightly partial reading of how British politics or working class politics developed over the 19th and early 20th century was this process of going from mass organisations from an independent working class movement which was seeking to uh, almost stand outside of the capitalist system Mm. to one which was eventually overtaken by these kind of like bureaucratic organisations which took that passion or that that um, that radicality, and we're like, okay, here's what, how we're going to implement this. How here's how we're going to institutionalize this radical demand in a way which sort of like uh, undermined it in the end. Sure. Because it, because then you can look at, I think the context in which I have you I have used. I was speaking to my parents at one point, right? And the context in which I used it was to say, how has this, this been this decline in consciousness? Um, supposing that there has been some kind of decline in consciousness in the working class, in air quotes, in the UK over the past 100 years or 150 years or what have you. Um, And my answer was to say, well, organisations of the working class movement came along and took that agency away from workers and were like, okay, you abdicate responsibility for worrying about that. We'll we'll take care of it kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I guess what I imagine happened was this, this, this gradual undermining of um, the requirement upon the class itself to constantly reconstitute and reinforce in itself this idea that it was it was it had it had this divine mission. Yeah, I suppose I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's it's just like it's like the Fabian. It's a Fabian yeah. thing. It, you know, For, it's funny, right? Because you have to find the proper balance between like the lazy kind of far left like the working class will take care of itself mm. just propagandize just do your thing because to me like that that okay this is gonna maybe be a, an insane take but like it, that kind of has its mirror form with accelerationism you know what yeah. i mean because it's it's first of all it's lazy and secondly it's like well what are you gonna do let everybody suffer until the the it's right to do the thing till it's right to act yeah and then obviously you know you have like the other end where it's socialism from above let us do it for you, you know, you, you silly fool. Um, neither of them have worked. And so hopefully, you know, kind of with this, with the reading that we've been doing, like we were able to find like some kind of a balance. Um, and you're right. I think that that, that, that had been a very uh, illuminating way of thinking about it. It was also just very simple, right? It was very like, you don't have to worry about the, you know, intricacies of like what side are you on on this or that. It's like, you know, I'd like socialism to be done by the people who have the biggest interest in it. If for no other reason, then that makes sense. You know what I mean? It's just about how you organize that power and how you direct it in the proper way. Um, and without it getting corrupted, I suppose. Yeah. And the an actual transformation in the mode of production might not be possible without that kind of yeah, movement. 100%. Yeah, I, I think I'm fully, fully on board with that <laughs> sentiment now. Um, which worries me a bit because you know it's like again how much more suffering do you have to get through to get to that point where that stuff's ready to go but then it's like if you think that just worry about organizing it and that's where the organizational question comes in 
Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel heartened by the prospect that um, movements like that have been built before, mm. and it would be a massive slog. But at least, like, it's incremental steps that you can kind of imagine happening. I don't know. I feel much more at ease with the idea of building a mass movement than I do with. Yeah, I don't know what the op- the alternative is. I suppose, like, um, I mean, I suppose the idea is if, if you if you ever were to try and like stealth socialism, <laughs> which is basically just like social democracy, right? If it's just if it's yeah. just like welfareism or what yeah. have you, um, those things can always be undone, you know. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and if you're not building the kind of movement that's invested enough in it to defend it then you're always going to suffer when the reaction happens kind of thing. It's always going to go away again. Yeah. Well, then it's also really easy for the reaction to convince people to propagandize on their own and be like, you know, the New Deal is kind of crappy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, If you present your ideas as being like one option out of multiple, I mean, this is sounding very anti-democratic or (laughs) anti-pluralistic, I suppose, but why not? Like... (laughs) You have to, you have to, if you, if you just present your ideas as being one choice out of multiple, people can automatically like turn around sure. and change their minds again. Whereas if you actually build people's like commitment to the necessity of this activity and you build it into their lives and their identity and their existence and their relationships with other people. Hmm. Um, as workers. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent. That's just normal people. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Like. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's good. I think I I think it was definitely very good to frame that too with the dictatorship of the proletariat stuff. Um, And even though we, I think myself at least, I kind of came away from that being like, is this a useful phrase at all? Kind of why do I care? All right. Um, It was it was still good to elaborate on, and I think like. If for no other reason, again, than to just kind of like the strategic, like convincing of people, don't be scared of the of the dictatorship or don't be scared of whatever, even if we never use that word again. Um, it, it, it was very helpful to see that like these things don't just happen and there does need to be a hegemony of at least ideas and a hegemony of, if not outright theory, but like power and it's funny, right? Because like you look back on history and all these things are so random. Mm-hmm. Like if I was a guy in like, I don't know, March of 1917, I'd be like, all right, <laughs> you know, that was it. All right, who cares? I'm just going to go, you know, move to the Virgin Islands or whatever and just hang out because I don't care about anything anymore. It's like, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows what's going to happen in a week, in a month, in 10 years, in 100 years? So I don't know. I suppose do your best is what yeah. I've gotten from all of these things. Yeah, yeah. Get as ready as you can be. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, again, though, just to reiterate, the biggest thing that I've gotten from all of that, um, from the fundamental principle stuff and all the Hal Draper and all of that, is the the idea of something positive. Um, again, I'm just going to repeat it. It isn't simply enough to just say, capitalism sucks, dude, because no one's going to listen to you. Um, yeah. Or you're just going to build greater nihilism or greater depression. Yeah. And, yeah and, greater and, anxiety. Exactly. And nihilism and depression is just going to go to bad places. Like... It's funny, right? Because I've been thinking about the different emotions that you can harness um, to these purposes. And nihilism and depression 
kind of useless. Like, you you know, if somebody's really, like, in the pits, they're open to anything, and I guess that could be useful, but it's also, like, they're open to anything, you know what I mean? And you don't you don't want to be, like, using sadness, first of all, because that's disgusting, and secondly, because it's not super useful. Um, I think, I don't know about this, what do you think? I think anger, on the other hand, is, is definitely very useful, and I know that that is also kind of like, ugh, you know, we don't really be using, like, these negative emotions. But you, hope is, like, the main thing you should be using, but also, like, my God, everyone should be so mad, you know, and, like, being bummed out and sad and kicking a can down the street is only going to help for so long. But, like, if, if for no other reason, the purpose of the Donald Rumsfeld episodes and the McNamara episodes and the CIA episodes is it's to get people angry, you know? Mm. It's like, you should yeah. absolutely yeah. be angry about what, you know, has been done to you and about what continues to be done to everybody just like you. Um, and it's, yeah, this is just, I'm just riffing on the idea now, but it's very hard to feel depression collectively, but mm. you can feel anger collectively. That's a good point. It's <laughs> a very good point. You can resonate with people's anger. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, and optimism can build from that. Yeah. Or yeah, at least like, like, anger anything. can drive action. Yes, 100%. I don't think the people in the best storming of the Bastille were like sad. And like, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. They may have been overjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. good point. They're like, wow, look at that ahead. Oh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting in a strategic point of just like what you should be pushing, I guess. Should you be pushing the idea of something new and that's better and get excited? It's a fully automated luxury communism, baby. We're all going to have the big, cool things. We're going to get the asteroids and whatever versus versus the being mad about everything, I guess. Again, as with anything, it's a balance of a balance of those two. Definitely, I think what you said, anger definitely drives collective action a lot better. Um, but good not to get totally sucked up in that, I think. Yeah. In the anger or the optimism? In the anger, I think. Sure, yeah, because I was just thinking about it now in terms of, like, anger is can be quite rash, right? Mm. Like, mm. you have to be measured and prepared. There's no point wasting your energy away in a way which the, yeah. the, the establishment of the system or what have you can, can fight back against and rebut, right? Yeah, um, yeah, no, hundred percent, and that it, the establishment could even use too. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Be angry, but not too angry, folks. Yeah. <laughs> be be level headed. Hmm. Um. I suppose. Also, just before uh, uh, we move on to anything else, we should give a shout out to Thelma as well, because that was an uh, awesome experience. And um, go back and listen to the Thelma episode because. She's done more to uh, bring consciousness to people than uh, everybody I know combined. And um, even if it's not, uh, you know, outright uh, communist movement, socialist movement, uh, it is interesting to see how these things work in a modern environment, see how things don't work, see what things people respond to. And I think maybe just the lesson from that, too, is like not everybody is going to be moved to action by... um, labor time planning and look at this and look what you look what could happen if you simply got rid of the wage labor um an interesting lesson in some of these smaller parties trying to replace the left of labor in what they choose to focus on and obviously with Elmar and her party it's um northern independence right which is awesome mm-hmm. and rocks and it's very very cool but um i think Worth worth looking at a bit closer, I think. And I mean, I haven't thought super critically on this or anything, but it's certainly an example of 
maybe not going where the movement is, but going where some energy is um, to bring these ideas to people. Because I guarantee you a lot of people that she's spoken to and has gotten, have, have gotten to listen to her wouldn't have listened unless she had that message, that extra message of socialism is good, but hey, don't you hate London? It's like, yeah, everybody hates London. <laughs> I certainly hate London, and I'm well up for overthrowing the dictatorship of London. <laughs> the goddamn dictatorship of London. And of Paris, too. Did you see uh, the other day, might have been today, actually, that um, a bunch of farmers who seem to be always driving their tractors into Paris and protesting sprayed the French president's house with, like, cow manure or something. It rocked. It was very, very cool. All right. More Productive that, anger. Please. Productive anger, yeah. <laughs> More of that, please. <laughs> yeah, I think in the past we've advocated for at least, like, we haven't opposed ourselves to the idea of um, secessionist movements and devolu- devolution. <laughs> sure. Now, I don't know whether from my own standpoint it's predicated on a great tactical understanding or just mm. um, uh, a desire to see the... <laughs> British constitutional arrangement collapse. Um, Is that nihilism? Provoking action? <laughs> Interesting. It's events. Yeah. Any, 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 any change is good. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Um. The the, I mean, it's definitely the case to say that uh, London dictates so much of British politics. Mm. It sucks up so much investment, but also um, it's the seat of power to so many institutions which serve to um, support the bourgeoisie and its mm. position as uh, dictators, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. stick to the language. Trying to use the <laughs> language of dictatorship. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, cla- the, it's class monopoly on power kind of thing. Mm. Um why not dismantle and dissolve that? Yeah. And uh, if regionalism is representative of a growth in democracy, then yeah. Yeah. Hey, why not? Yeah, why not? If it improves living standards too, why the hell not? Jesus. Um, well, when when Canterbury becomes Zone 50 of London, London. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll have more say in what happens in London. Um Yes, like yeah. Uh, uh-huh, God. Uh-huh. I can almost imagine the Tories doing that, you know, like expanding <laughs> London into some places where there are some so- solid Tory voters, so that they might actually yeah. like, win the yeah. mayoralty of London. Yeah, I was told by a nurse recently. I don't remember who told you this, but that um, one of the reasons that you see all these statistics of like seaside towns in the coasts of England that are in and around um, London as having like higher rates of drug addicts and like, you know, domestic abuse victims or whatever is because um, London likes to not build like halfway houses or anything like that in its jurisdiction. And it likes to fund towns that are outside of its jurisdiction to build these things. And so it just sends all of these people there, not caring at all about what happens to them or what these facilities are actually able to do with these people. So all the statistics were like, you know, uh, the, the you know people who can't be helped or whatever leave London and they can go look yeah. at us we deserve more funding yeah I'm pretty sure there's large numbers of houses in the town that we live in that mm. are technically council houses for boroughs of London yeah. rather than like yeah uh, here. I don't know yeah. and yeah. I don't want to be like local houses for local people <laughs> but also like um, it's almost like if they to, care to force people out of the, the town or in this case city in which they yeah 
were born yeah. just so that they can have a statistic. Have some minor amount. Yeah, statistics, but also some minor amount of housing security, you know? Yeah. Well, it's grotesque. Fully grotesque. Hmm. And I, uh, bloody London definitely has the money to fix all this. So what are you going to do, bastards? I forget Dan was uh-huh. Nig- Nigel Farage couldn't have been from London. He couldn't have been a city trader or anything like that. No, right? no, because he's like, wears a flat cap, right? <laughs> yeah, and he's he, a bloke. And he drinks warm beer and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. God. Um, some kind of a bloke very peculiar kind of a bloke i suppose not it's a normal. weird affect isn't it it's like it's definitely not like <laughs> he's definitely not affecting city banker but he's also not affecting like bloke, Guy. bloke. yeah he it's definitely like uh it's a country aesthetic it, yeah i don't know what to make uh, of it as someone who doesn't understand the aesthetics is just a uh, I don't know. It's gross. It's very <laughs> gross. It's like how Trump, like, presumably pretends to be a billionaire, but also, like, pretends to, like, well, maybe not pretends, like, also, like, I eat crappy food, just like everybody, you know what I mean? That part is actually true, I think, that he does just eat shitty food. Um, so he's, I don't know, oh, politicians, shysters, what are you going to do? Yeah, new money, in it? New money, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the nouveau riche. <laughs> I would, I would like to once and for all understand Donald Trump's background just in the, cause like libs are always like, he has no money. He is a liar and a thief. Um, but then obviously he's like, I have all the money. I'd like to know, I'd like to settle that. Presumably <laughs> if his family did have money, I don't know. I just, this is something I get confused yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if he was revealed to be like a charlatan and actually <laughs> not being rich, then it would totally dissolve his power and cachet and yeah. I don't know. Or yeah, no. I'm. Jo- it I'm, reminds I'm, me. I'm, sorry, I'm trying to affect the lib brain. Not, <laughs> clearly, I'm not making the, making it the case for my joking. Being joking. I was going to say it would it would remind me of the the tweet that's like, uh, oh, I'd like to see Donald Trump wriggle his way out of this jam, and then he easily wriggles his way out of the jam. And it's like <laughs> ah, nonetheless. <laughs> uh, do you uh, do you think he's going to come back and try and run again? On on Mike, do you think he's going to do that? Um, I mean, it's easy enough. Yes or no, isn't it? I think unless somebody. No, I think it's done. I think it's done. Yeah, but he's got to want to do it again, right? Mm. What is he doing now? Is he presumably just hanging out Mar a Lago? Probably the same thing yeah. he's doing when he was president. Falling out with his kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, have you seen Baron Trump is like six five or something like that? Uh-huh. I mean, just yeah, shot, he does seem to like. Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time I see a photo of him, he seems to be six <laughs> inches taller. Very, it's very odd. It's yeah. like, yeah. Mm, <laughs> what's going on there? I don't know. Something weird's going on with Baron. Mark my words. Hasn't there been some stuff going on with the kids and the money and the? I don't know. I don't know. There's a weird part of me, and I hate to say this, there's a weird part of me that, like, doesn't miss Trump, but, like, at least there was comedic relief. The Biden comedic relief is all gone now because he has to be serious and he has to be the president and he can't, you know, eat ice cream like a freak or anything like that anymore. So it's like, ah, it all sucks (laughs) and it's all horrible and politics sucks so much, but it's like, at least with Trump, you'd get a story about, like, the CAA trying to tell him about, like, which world leader they were planning on killing and him being like, give me more milkshakes, I don't care about this. (laughs) So somebody just needs to give him a mic. Exactly. Give him a platform so he can just sort of say some laughable... He needs to get... They just need to put it back on Twitter. Exactly. Like, come on, for the sake of, like... For the sake of humanity, for the sake of, like, the legacy that we leave to the future, we need a record of this man's deranged thoughts. I mean, the best thing ever is I think the Library of Congress was, like, required by law to, like, file all his tweets away, (laughs) which rocks so much.
It's so someone in like a thousand years is going to be like in a big tome flipping through pages of like dumb shit he tweeted about McDonald's or something. <laughs> that guy, man, so hard to not find him just hilarious. Piece of shit. Mm, yeah, obviously, that scene from is it the Library of Congress? Have you seen Logan's Run? That scene from Logan's Run where they escape and they go to the Library of Congress and they find the old guy and he's got all the cats and, <laughs> and then and then it's just sitting on mounds and mounds of Donald Trump's tweets. <laughs> he's like, you wanted to know what Trump said about Kirsten Gillibrand in the summer of 2020. <laughs> Let me find it for I just you. To get the crystal out of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Go Fifi. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was a classic. Libs loved that shit. God damn it. That was just, that was like a classic. Like whenever Bolsonaro goes to hospital for like having like a foot <laughs> on his head or something like that, he or always for the tenth time. Exactly, he always plays it off and comes out looking somehow better. Hmm. And it's just like with a meme. He's been like posting memes recently of him in hospital, which is classic. Hmm. Um, same thing with Trump. You can't hurt him. That's yeah. all I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Only make him stronger. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I wonder whether Bolsonaro is like doubling down on the fact that like. He's um, he's really alpha because he survived COVID. So the more times he survives COVID, the more alpha he becomes. He's like, give it to me again. Yeah. And some aide is like, Bolsonaro, I don't know. Again? <laughs> we need a strong leader. Um, all right. Well, communism. Uh, yeah. What else? Uh, we should admit that we did actually kill Donald Rumsfeld. We lied about it on the episodes after that. We did. Yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. That was us. Yeah. Our bad. Um, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. Um, and then again, the CIA stuff, I guess. Uh, just crazy, isn't it? Like, there's no real <laughs> theoretical backing there other than to maybe understand some of these power structures that don't simply exist by relation of their, you know, relationship to production or whatever. Um, it's also just crazy stories. I mean, like, that's like the main interest in it. Um it's just nuts. Yeah. And again, like I've said this before, but like how many, we were talking about like, you need to have something positive for, for socialism to exist. And it can't just be a negation of capitalism, but like you can get a lot of people, you know, to listen to you by being like people who are, people who are like ostensibly libertarian and are like, I just hate the state. The state just does all the bad things to listen to you. Cause they love like conspiracy theory shit mm. by bringing this up. But I also like, love the idea that we're going to go and invade Cuba. Yeah, exactly. Or... <laughs> yeah. God damn Cuba. <laughs> Yeah, but just by bringing this stuff up and being like, well, what were the incentives for the Dulleses to do this? It wasn't just because he was like, I love the state. The state is so good. It was, mm. you know, because he had a goddamn biggest I, overseas I, contract <laughs> ever in Iran. I love money and I don't like losing yeah. money. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Money and power, baby. Mm. Money and power. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting to look at in terms of like, as a study of the 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 American class system, I mm. suppose, mm. like... What kind of factions of the ruling class are they? How have they monopolized access to state power? And then how have they um, uh, how have they mobilized said state power? I suppose to mm. meet their own ends, but meet also their collective class ends. But then also, it's interesting to see the overlap in like the class, the the ruling class's ideology. I suppose. Those occasions yeah. when they overreach, you know, mm. or those occasions when they the individuals do something out of like pure personal malice mm. or spite or yeah, or what have you. But I mean, we'll it, 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 it kind of just be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. To me, it just like we've not really like 
we've not really uh, covered these these topics again since we read Miliband and we were talking about um, the class and its relationship to the state. And we really ought to go back and think about it some more or find some more reading or get into it in a greater degree of depth. Mm. But just this, just the concept of like, um, I mean, I suppose it pertains to some extent to the dictatorship of the proletariat and the question of like whether we live under a bourgeois dictatorship now like sure um what is the degree of consciousness that's represented by various yeah state actors individual um, agents yeah, yeah 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 how is it how is it pure how is it compromised how does it manifest itself how does it develop mm. uh how does it degrade how is it attacked mm. um i don't know yeah well uh, yeah i mean it's interesting right because many of those actions were like Dulles definitely got a taste of like, we can do what? You know, we can kill who if they do what? We can do whatever we want, baby. And so there's a bit of that, but it's also like an, an empire like America can't function without something, something like the CIA or yeah. something like a domestic version of that, right? Like the FBI, because you need to have something to step outside of like what's right or what's legal to do the things that need to be done to have an empire to function the way that it does. So it's almost just like a... It just had to happen. That's really fascinating. Yeah. That's a really interesting insight, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the degree to which it's a fundamental part of that model of empire. Mm. Yeah. Um, we need our bananas, yeah. folks. We, yeah, need, yeah, yeah. we need our bananas. Yeah. Mm. Unlike the British Army, that just sort of stationed itself all over the world and like, <laughs> yeah. committed genocide on its own time. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or its own dime or whatever. Like Ugh. The CIA would supply the money, but... Yeah. Someone else do the genocide. More clandestine in its... Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting clip of um, Evo Morales talking today where he was saying, um, someone asked him about, like, why don't you call China or India or Russia an empire, but you call American empire? And he was like, well, look around you, look at all of the American bases in every single country on the planet, and you don't see that kind of military... He made the distinction of, like, an empire is something that uses military force to, uh, to keep its, like, worldwide reach or whatever. Um, it is interesting. I mean, like, a bit of semantics because it's also, like, you know the like economic reach that China has in like Eastern Africa or, you know, different parts of the world isn't necessarily like enforced militarily, um, certainly domestically. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I brought that up other than it's just interesting to see a like modern day example of like American empire and the distinctions that someone like Evan Morales would make. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but yeah, quite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a, it's again, a political question, isn't it? Like, of course, anybody in South America is going to see America yeah. as the like yeah. central imperial foe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if you were in East Africa and your economy was very rapidly being bought up by mm. China or what have you, or like if I don't I don't quite know enough about the context, so I'm sort of speculating. But I I don't know. Like my understanding is that China's like stockpiling the ownership of like land in Africa and stuff. Like, yeah. Correct me if I'm. I don't know if you have better information, but like. <laughs> So if, if you were in a situation where China was, like, clearly yeah. the imperial power or at least, like, a regional hegemon or it used its its um, its uh, financial and economic influence to disadvantage you, then yeah. you'd complain about the other one. But like, Or if you were in Chechnya and you were, like, yeah, telling yeah, me Russia's yeah. done empire, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 100%. But, like, that's the worst, like, just, like... Don't we like? I was going to say lib question, and I remember the phrase "what aboutism," but I don't really like that phrase very much either. But it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's the most sort of like distracting yeah. nonsense question about like, yeah. But what about this situation? Exactly. Clearly, America's absolved because China's doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't 
know. I don't know. Well, look at them. Yeah. What's the alternative? You're going to let them take over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One uh, day, we, we got to find a resource that would be good on um, modern or semi-modern. Um, which word do I pick here? Um, socialist. I'll use that one. Movements in China. Uh-huh. Um, ones that uh, aren't directly related to the CC. C. P. C. 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 P. Because <laughs> um, I re- man, Ch- I need to know more about China and just yeah. the, the development of the Communist Party. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, they're almost yeah. there. They've almost got it. They've almost got communism. They're so close. Yeah. <laughs> just needs to flip the switch, you know. Just, yeah, just the need to press switch. the communism button. <laughs> Jack Ma will flip the switch. Um, I don't know anything else. Anything else on uh, these last ten? Um, I don't know, nothing comes to mind. Mm. It's been enjoyable. Yeah. It's been productive. Yeah. I've uh, definitely had my uh, frame of mind changed by, by quite a few things. Um, and that's good. I feel like we need to uh, say, we've never really talked about this on the show before, but like that is good to have your mind changed. I mean, um, the second episode, we read something from Tribune. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and that, was, that was, hey, that was worthwhile. You know what I mean? It was worthwhile to read an interview with Corbin and all that jazz and Brianna Joy Gray and all of that, um, your mind's going to change and that's fine. That's good. Even, um, I, I was also, I, I know we had, we said we might talk a bit about, uh, the division of labor and stuff like that and the application of like who gets what job, um, under the, uh, uh, state of socialism defined by, uh, the group of international communists. But I think maybe we like wait until we have some actual like reading about that yeah. to kind of expand on that a bit further. Cause we yeah. did talk about it a bit in our episode. Yeah. So. I think that's a good idea. Right? Mm. I mean, it came to me only because I was rereading the Critique of the Gotha program, but mm. we can introduce more material. Put a plug in that. More material. Mm. We need more material, on, folks. Later on. Yeah. Content. Content. Content is king. Um, if you've made it this far, go watch our effing video on YouTube that we just put up, which is a new kind of thing. It's Dan and I sitting on a couch talking about baseball, if the baseball were communist, and if the space was also communist. <laughs> um, Communism from without. <laughs> aliens interesting <laughs> i mean they've got they've got to have something like that if they're traveling different planets interesting dan interesting we need to put all of our resources into developing ultra powerful ham radios <laughs> i personally i'm going to contact the communist <laughs> alien help they'll come and save us the aliens will do communism for us that'd be nice to us hmm. the ultimate communism from above we got <laughs> <laughs> We need we need to find some uh, futurist stuff to read. You got me you got me interested in all that yeah. jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> let let us know if 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 we ought read some Posadas. <laughs> That's I mean, the like, logical the, conclusion. The, the day like the the day like Posadism had its day in like twenty sixteen, right? But like I don't know. <laughs> It'd be funny. Positively modern for yeah. our context. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that, um, we'll be back next week, I suppose. Um, always a pleasure, listener. Thank you all so much for allowing us to do 40. Quite frankly, I get the feeling if we got one listener every week and it was my dad, we'd still be doing this. Because yeah. <laughs> it is just fun. We enjoy doing it. But for those of you who have stuck around, thank you very much. It's very cool. It's cool to be talking to people who are not directly blood-related and or friends. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, and some of you have been here for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, shout out our good friend Lex. Yes. Um, and, uh, top yeah. fan. Super top fan. fan. Number one fan. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I've been Dan. Thanks so much for listening. It's a, it's a pleasure as always. And I've been Jack. We'll see you next week.
music you heard this episode was music to kill bad people too by king gizzard and the lizard wizard if you like this song you can check it out and much much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com be sure and follow us up on instagram twitter and facebook and if you like what you heard be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion till next time Whoa.